Luzona da gran cascia, viva l'uva pa la pascia, Luzona dei tamburri e la sorriso tra i cuperi, la Luzona da campana, viva viva di pupulana, la suona da violino, morta di Giacopino. Welcome to the History and Music Podcast, where we find and discuss songs and lyrics that describe historic events, where we use these songs as jumping off points, um, an excuse to study random things in history that we can listen to in music. I'm happy to be joined, as always, by Sean. How's it going, Sean? Hello. I am here in the holy faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, um, and uh, with Sean, we we also have Jesus. How's it going, Jesus? It's going pretty good. Awesome, a, a, fr- a friend of the program, and we're 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 happy to have you. It's been kind of a, a little bit of a thing trying to get this one going, but um, I'm glad we finally have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on, coming on the show, man. So everyone basically already knows, like Scott and I, um, probably more than we want them to. But <laughs> for those that don't already know you, you want to kind of give us just like a brief rundown of who you are, where you come from, and why are you here. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'm just a, a programmer, security guy from from Texas. Uh, I'm not like an internet person, so I don't have any socials really. Uh, I'm just a, a fan of the podcast already, and I'm a friend of Scott. So I was pretty excited when uh, when they were saying, "Oh, we're looking for ideas for possible songs." I was like, "This is my moment." Uh, I I really like a lot of a lot of weird music, and that includes historical music or just music that uses ideas to change my perspective or make me think about things. So uh, I'm a fan of the podcast myself, and I'm I was I was excited to be on it for that reason. Well, I was excited when you when you mentioned you wanted to be on because you're very well spoken and you have you're very open minded and have lots of good ideas. So um, yeah, and and the song that you chose is one that I don't think I would. I mean, I know I wouldn't have ever chose it because I I don't know what it. I've never heard it. But um, <laughs> well, the reason we're doing it is because the people demanded it, right? I mean, how, I mean. <laughs> There's not enough San Fadisti content out there, and the people are clamoring for it. So that's why we agree to do this. It's very true. There, yeah, there's no need not to enough. explain. I think everybody knows about the San Fadisti, so I think we can just, just without background. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where did you hear this song, Sean? Or not Sean, Jesus? I heard this song. Um, I was already a follower of it. There's a Catholic traditionalist uh, music YouTube channel. This is definitely a niche <laughs> called Ex Cathedra. They have all kinds of really good traditionalist music. Um, a really good song from Mexico called Mañana Me, Fu- Me Fusilan, which is about the, uh, the Cristero War in Mexico. All kinds of really good historical music. Um, I forget which exact song led me to that channel. And as I was just going through the channel, a lot of it sucks. But like 30% of it is amazing. And I mean, it's all well done, but some of it's just not interesting musically to me or historically for whatever reason. But a lot of it is, is incredible music of people who, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Catholic myself, but people who clearly have a, a profound faith in, in Jesus Christ and who in the century they lived in were fighting for that, often against forces which were very clearly evil um, to, to more or less degrees, depending on the, on the circumstance. And I ran into this one and was, I, I don't speak Italian or anything, but I was like, wow, this is incredible. And, and from there I went and learned the, the history of it. And that's, that's basically how I learned about it. Just, just by happening to upon that channel and looking, looking into other things that they had in their, in their nice. catalog. 
Yeah, so you can, you kind of you kind of found a diamond in the rough here. It sounds like with with uh, because yeah, X X Cathedral. I had never heard of that YouTube page, but they've got like, I mean, sixty something thousand subscribers. So they're not a like a super small channel, but definitely definitely a good song. I, I had I was not actually familiar with this specific period of history or this song, but I'm glad you picked it because as you know, we are trad cath respecters here, mm-hmm. and we're also looking to expand our horizons musically and historically. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, um, give us kind of a rundown of like, wh- like what kind of a person are you musically? Like what, what kind of music did you grow up listening to? What do you listen to now, you know, for fun when you're not going on a podcast? What, what do you, <laughs> what's your, what's your fancy? Well, I'm usually on a podcast. So no, I, uh, <laughs> I wanted to say about one thing um, about, about finding a diamond in the rough. I think in our world, that's the only way that you can do it. Like the YouTube algorithm is never just going to spontaneously recommend a song called like honor Christ or it's just not going to happen. Whereas I get anti-Christian music recommended regularly from, from Spotify or whatever. Even if you try to train the algorithm, it's challenging to get it to, to offer that. So I think that's the only way to find something that's of quality in this day and age, probably in all days and ages. I, I don't know, but, but that's at least uh, about that. But in terms of my, my normal musical tastes, I, I grew up, my, my dad really likes music and I would say he mostly likes dad music. Like he likes dad rock, dad R and B, like a lot of like normie type of music that you do, that you associate with dads, I guess, which I hated as a kid. Like I hated all of it. I don't know. Just, I don't know why. Cause he would play it early in the morning to wake me up, I guess. And that just taught me like, <laughs> but I, I wasn't too into music. And I also had only really listened to music other than that from like the radio and, and like mainstream things. And I used to think I hated music up until I was 13 years old. I really believed I was like, I don't like music. Music sucks because I'd only ever listened to like Fergie or like 50 cent or whatever super mainstream thing. And I was like, yeah, music isn't that good. I guess some of it's okay. And it wasn't until I had, I had gone on LimeWire because my dad had LimeWire. That was like when LimeWire became a thing. And I listened to, I think Iron Maiden. I, yeah, I listened to Flight of Icarus by Iron Maiden. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna try listening to this. And I was just like, it's not that that's that great of a song, but I was just like, what is this? Like, this isn't like any music I've ever heard. Like it was about something that I was interested in. I didn't know the myth of Icarus. So from there I went and learned about this myth of, of Icarus and Daedalus and all this other stuff. and it just totally opened my mind to like, whoa, I thought music was just this crappy stuff about like humping at the club or whatever. Like I didn't know music could be about things, you know? And then from then I I just loved music after that, but not really in any genre or anything, but just like, I'm very strict about music I like, but I don't know what the criteria is and I have no idea how to find things that I'll like. So, so, so are you, and and this might, uh, you might, you, you could answer both, but are you, are you a, a lyric guy or are you a music guy like that there, there's there's people that that really go for the lyrics and they don't really care so much for the musicality which one are you oof i i i don't i i, I plead the fifth on that one uh, <laughs> hey, you can say both you like, you like it all you like it all yeah I, you, I can, you can say I both. Can go either way on that I, I really like like both i don't think uh i don't think i could possibly choose well, sometimes the best kind of song is where you listen to it and go, this is catchy and it sounds good. It gets me going. Then you read the lyrics you're like, whoa, I even like it. I like it even more now mm-hmm. because the lyrics are, talk about something that speaks to me. I mean, look at look at All Along the Watchtower, by, by which is, I mean, I don't know who originally wrote it, but you can listen to it from Bob Dylan. Hendrix. He wrote All Along the Watchtower. And then, yeah, Hendrix covered it. But I wouldn't, I mean, yeah. Hendrix's version is a billion times better because of the musicality. Yeah, the lyrics are good. But to be like, oh, it's mostly the lyrics. People, I'm like, people think people think Hendrix wrote it because it's so much better. Right, yeah, no one even cares about the Bob Dylan. Another song that's like that with Bob Dylan is a uh, is um what's it called? 
Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. That was a song that I don't think Bob Dylan wrote, but he made it way more popular than it was. And then it was later covered and was way better. There's a bunch of Bob Dylan songs like that. Yeah, Um, Actually, the first song I ever learned how to play on guitar actually was Knocking on Heaven's Door, the Bob Dylan version. Mm, (laughs) That one and uh, that, that and Last Kiss by Pearl Jam. Those are my two. Oh, those uh, those are my two. uh, House House of the Rising Sun, the animals cover. Uh-huh. Sorry for interrupting uh-huh. you. Yeah. I apologize. That's you're that fine, song is amazing. Okay. I do it all the time. That is that is not the yeah. original version of that song, but in my opinion, it is. It's not the original version of those lyrics, or maybe even of that chord progression with those lyrics. But mm-hmm. I would say that's an original song because the added musicality is so different from how that song sounds before the animals covered it. Right. That whatever version was around was basically like an ingredient for the real song, which hadn't come yet. You know, it was like a prophecy that hey, a real a really good song is about to be written, but. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't. I actually didn't know House of the Rising Sun was a cover. I didn't know either. Interesting. Yeah, the Animals version. Yeah, the, you should listen to some of the older versions. Yeah, and you, you'll see why no one knows them. Yeah, that's oh, interesting okay. because uh, because obviously here at History of Music we we are the lyric cells um, <laughs> at least at least for this hour. But the musicality really does it can really emphasize certain points of or 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 it, it does something different to to hear it. Uh, sung how it was meant to be sung and so yeah it's it's interesting because because we'll we'll go through and read the lyrics of this song and i'm sure it won't have the same effect of like actually listening to it and understanding the the story behind it through song so yeah that's a good answer yeah that's cool man all right so the song that that you picked uh jesus or you said i can call you chewy right yeah you can call me chewy (laughs) okay do you go by jesus or is always jesus I, I, I mean, the, the, the reality is that like, I, uh, I use it for privacy purposes. I, I use a different name oh, okay. in my day-to-day interactions anyway. That isn't gotcha. also, that isn't my birth name anyway. So like, it's all good. You could just, I'm not so, trying. Like, I need a pseudonym. I got it. I got it. The savior's name. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can, you can take whatever you want. Anyway, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain. It's not, I'm like, I'm not trying to link people to something after this to where, to where it matters. This is just about the music. Oh no. You're fine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just having a good time. So the song, the song that you picked, Jesus, is Canto de San Fedisti, mm-hmm. which is an Italian, uh, Neapolitan Italian um, folk song. This particular version that, that, that we heard in the beginning, we're going to hear at the end. Um, I don't actually, I tried looking it up. I don't know who actually sings that version, but if you look this up, as you, as we know, there's, there's a, a billion different versions of it sung by a million different people with different you know, some of the lyrics are different. Some of the style of music is different, but it's basically an Italian folk song from basically the early 1800s. And it, it translates to kind of anthem of the San Fedists. I think San Fedists is how you would say it in English. I think I just realized I haven't pronounced that word Probably. in English yet, but uh, San Fedisti is San Fedist or San, San Fedismo. Yeah. Is that how we would say I, it? I translate it to holy okay. faithful. Right. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what it is. It's, it's holy, holy faithful in, uh, in Italian, Santa Fede. But it's it's a it's a kind of a nationalistic song from Naples, Italy, mm. from 1799. Please, sir, it's anti it's, it's anti-colonial. It's not nationalist. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's anti-colonial. Yes. Well, it's it's <laughs> yes, you're right. It is anti-colonial, anti anti-Jacobin specifically, mm. and kind of anti-French. But we'll, we'll we'll get into that. But that's basically what the song is. But I think this one, like we were saying in the beginning, we may have to give a little bit of, of some, some preamble to it, sure. um, just so some of these things make sense. 
Um, so like, I, I know what I can talk about, but uh, Scott and Jesus, do you guys want to like kind of do some table setting real quick before we get into the, into the meat of this one? Sure. Yeah. The basic historical context. And I, I know nothing about history, so this is based on like zero expertise. But the basic historical context is that the king of, I, he, he later became the king of the two Sicilies, but originally he was king of one of the Sicilies. I forget, I forget which, but he's a king in Southern Italy and he's ousted by, by French revolutionary forces, by the French, and they install this puppet government. And these people led by a cardinal in Southern Italy are trying to overthrow that puppet government and they do it, they succeed, and they reinstate Ferdinand as king of the two Sicilies. And this song is them being like, ha ha, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the gist of it. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's a really interesting time. And we were talking about this before the show, mm-hmm. this, this takes place kind of, I don't know if it's the height, but kind of the height of the French revolution in, in France. And sure. even though, even though these events aren't taking place in France, it's all kind of the, sort of the same theater. And so mo- most, most people are familiar with the French revolution. It basically came on the heels of our American revolution ending it lasted for 10 years, gazillions of people died but basically what's going on in France is the French people are rising up. They're killing the king. You know, we, we all know the story. But what um, what I kind of refresh my memory on in, in preparing for this podcast is just, it, just how chaotic things in France must have been for that five to ten year period of the revolution. Because what ends up happening is, is um, the king knows there's unrest. And so he calls together what they call the three estates. That's the clergy. I think it's the clergy, the the aristocracy, and um, I think it's the military, I think. But basically what ends up happening is he tries to kind of like placate his people and kind of give them some more rights, kind of maybe loosen up the tax burden a little bit. And what ends up happening is is basically a coup, a military coup, which is a French, a French word from this era, coup d'etat, change of state. And they the, 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 the result of that is they end up beheading the king they start just beheading anyone that's that's perceived as being any part of the aristocracy the educated class the clergy whatever it is and there's a a successive series of governments that are instated there that make the weimar republic look like (laughs) like like a like a strong centralized government and so what they end up doing is is they first they have like this a group almost like a senate and that governs france for a year or two and then that gets abolished and they behead the the King the of, that, of, of the, the assembly, right? And then it moves to some other name that sounds vaguely like the one they just got rid of, <laughs> and then they're in charge for six months. And it goes to a different one where they elect a leader every three months, and it rotates every three months. And it's just it's really confusing to follow unless you have like a master's degree in French history. So not going to go into that because we're not talking about French, but or France. But that's the era we're in, and the result of 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 the the French Revolution is is towards the very end, at the end of 1799, when the French Revolution is basically kind of ending, what's happening is, is everyone, all the other monarchies in Europe, every country in Europe was basically a monarchy at that point. All of them are looking at France, who was like the most royal, right? The Bourbon dynasty had been in power for like 400 years, 300 years, and, and it was just ended overnight, and the king was beheaded. And so all of a sudden, all the other royals all across Europe are crapping their pants, because, well, if it can happen in France, it can happen here. You know, and these ideas are going to spread like they often do. And so what ends up happening is, is these various European powers start kind of a proto-world war 
against France. And they call it a coalition, the first coalition. But basically what it'll be is, oh, the Holy Roman Empire will unite with you know, Austria-Hungary and Prussia and England and, uh, and, and Russia. And yeah, we'll go invade France. Yeah, the Holy Alliance, exactly. And we'll go ahead and invade France yeah. to kind of install uh, some bourbon ruler that's still alive back into power, kind of, you know, bring back the old ways. And that's what ends up happening. And it's during this time where France is both fighting an actual war as well as a civil war at the same time, but somehow they weren't really taken over by a foreign power, that this little known artillery commander rises to power because he's a brilliant military commander and ends up pro- proclaiming himself emperor of France. And that's not Napoleon king. Bonaparte. Not king. Not king. Emperor. <laughs> emperor. Emperor. He went, he went, full, he went full, full royalty. Yeah. So crowns himself emperor. But the reason I'm doing all this is so we know um, kind of where, you know, where, where we are historically speaking. But just before... Just before Napoleon comes to power, he basically comes to power at the end of 1799. Right around that time, during this whole period of civil war in France and these these foreign powers form this coalition to attack France to kind of reinstall the, the monarchy, the French army actually won a series of pretty amazing victories, surprisingly. They still had some competent generals that hadn't gotten the guillotine. And during one of these victories, during this kind of tumultuous period, they actually invaded part of what is today Italy, modern Italy. At the time, at the time it was called the Kingdom of Naples and Italy wasn't Italy as we know it as a series of kingdoms and so forth, but they invade the Kingdom of, of Naples and the King of Naples at the time, this guy named uh, Ferdinand, was it, was it Ferdinand the fir- first. fourth? First, the first, Ferdinand the first. Yeah. And anyway, so he flees to further south in Italy, basically um, to Sicily like basically flees for his life. And these this French soldiers occupy most of Naples and install essentially a puppet government of sympathetic Italian Republicans. Mm-hmm. And that that republic is called the Parthenopian Republic. This is going to be really hard to follow for people that haven't already read this stuff like we have. But <laughs> they established this republic called the Parthenopian Republic, actually on my birthday, January 21st of 1799. And um, they, like I said, they installed they install this, this, this uh, Italian Republican kind of president. The French army is there occupying the area and kind of has, I guess, de jour control because the army's there. It's, it's, uh, this is this, like I said, this is before Napoleon came to power, like a few months before he came to power, but that is the era that we're in right now. And so during this time, what we have is people who are, are anti, maybe anti-French, but they're anti-Republicanism, like anti-French revolution. They want, they want the monarchy, the pro-monarchy, the royalists, if you will. They kind of rally around this um, this cardinal Cardinal Fabrizio Rufo is his name, and uh, who is himself, I believe, from Naples. And he kind of starts this, I guess you call it nowadays. You call it a grassroots movement, um, but he, he kind of starts <clears throat> calling all the peasant class, the poor folks, to rally in the name of their king, this this king of Sicily, and they call themselves the Army of Holy Faith in Our Lord Jesus Christ, or San Fedisti for short. That is that is where we that's where we are. Does that did I, did I miss anything there, Jesus? I know um, you kind of did a deep dive yourself on this one, but 
I'm just pulling this is just from memory of what I was reading earlier on that, but that's kind of sort of sets the stage for where we are with this song. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, there was there was one thing you you were uncertain about. The third estate is the commoners, and the reason that, oh, yeah. that including the commoners is an issue because this is an era in normy in, in like normal person history. The way they put this is that the bourgeoisie was rising up, right, and they were left out, right. You have the peasants, you have the noble, you have the nobility, you have the church, you have the king. What about what about this rising class of people who come from the commoners and sometimes come from the aristocracy, but are clearly something else, something new, and they're the they, they're the womb of liberalism. Right. So, Correct. Do you guys know what was yes. going on in the U.S. at the time? What was happening in the U.S. at this point? Uh, Trivia. Let's see. Was, was this? Well, we... Go ahead. Articles, this was during the Articles of Confederation. I thought of this because you, you mentioned yeah. uh, that, that the, the French were changing, changing their leaders really quick, right? But I believe under the Articles yeah. of Confederation, you can only be president of the Congress for like a year or something. So there's like 10... You have John Hansen, the first president of the United States under the Articles of Confederation. Right. And then you have like nine right. more after him before they get the Constitution. And right. no one knows about these Which people. Which nobody cares about or remembers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, the, and, the, and the, they realized that the, the, the Americans at the time realized very quickly the Articles of Confederation did not work. They mm-hmm. were not strong enough. They had all kinds of issues. And they um, instituted a new system of government with the, the Constitution. And they did that uh, without having to massacre the countryside. It Which went a lot better, nice. didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, a little so, lot more smoother transition. And for all the Americans in the audience, if you're trying to get a reference for where this is, this is about 10, 15 years before pizza. The tomato had just been introduced to Italy just after this war was won. So we got about, I would say we're 15 before, 15 BP before pizza. Before pizza. And if it's in Naples, it's, it's where pizza was invented too, right? These were the people, like these- the, the, sons, the sons of these heroes were the inventors of pizza is the way you could wow. think of it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so Hero, this, heroes beget heroes. Mm. <laughs> is this also, I believe it's also where Neapolitan ice cream comes from. No? I mean, it's in the name. I'm not sure. It's in the I, name. I'm I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. I actually didn't look that up. Yeah. So that that's, that's where we are. The Parthenopian Republic. I mean, we'll kind of just spoiler alert. It only lasted for like six months. It lasted from January 21st ish all the way until about June 13th of 1799. After that happened, um, King Ferdinand basically kind of brings a lot of his supporters and an army that he kind of rallies an army of, of his countrymen, as well as this, this um, the, the Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Rufo, and they kind of take back their quote unquote country, if you will, their kingdom. Mm-hmm. And they reinstall him as the king of Naples uh, right, af- right after this, right up basically in, in mid-June of 1799, and the Parthenopian Republic, this French client state, ceases to exist and never came back. So um, that's that's what the song is about. Um, should we, should we, because I'm, I'm, we're going to pull out some stuff from the song to kind of add some color to what we talked about, but should we get into the lyrics? Mm-hmm. You guys think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And yeah, again, there are many translations, so uh, we're, we're using one of them. If you're following along and have a translation open, then I hope that I'm, I'm not sure if we have the same one, but so just be patient yeah. with that. Uh, well, and, and one thing to point out is this is a, a, a dialect of Italian called Neapolitan. It's what they speak in, in Napoli, Naples. And so it sounds like kind of a, 
a slightly different version of Italian. And I don't think any of us here actually speak Italian fluently, but I've heard Italian before and this sounds a little different. And so that's why if, if any any Italian speakers are listening to this and going, that's not Italian. Well, it's, it's actually Neapolitan. So just work with us. But uh, other than that, I think I think we'll, go, we'll get into the lyrics. Um, Chewy, since you're the uh, in the seat of honor, do you want to start with just verse one or verse one and two there? And we'll kind of just go line by line. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So I can do I can do the two the first two like stanzas if you'd like. Sure, sure. Okay. So to the sound of the bass drum, hail the lower class. To the sound of the tambour, the poor rose up. To the sound of the bells, hail, hail the peasants. To the sound of the violins, death to the Jacobins. So um, go ahead. I, I had some thoughts on this, but I always have thoughts, and I just monologued for like ten minutes about like the French Revolution. So you guys go ahead. <laughs> Why don't you start with like anything that that you want to call out from those two stanzas that you liked, or that had some kind of special significance to you, or maybe expound on it a little bit. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's interesting uh, that when you study like the classical period of, of reaction against what was happening with liberalism in Europe, there's this common trend of. The, of the, the classical lower class, like the peasantry, which was already felt totally represented and had its own kind of power within the older system. Because it was the third estate, right? They had, they had seen this as a, as a legitimate class and had given them a form of power. Uh, so you see that the elites, the monarchy, and the lower class, the peasantry, teaming up against this burgeoning middle class. And again, this is very like the normie history of, of the birth of liberalism and nationalism and all this stuff that happened at the time. But I think that's, that's an interesting pattern especially because the heirs of that tradition now see themselves very much as fighting for the poor, even though that, that tendency hasn't really gone away. You still see it common that like commoners and the elite, like not the elite in the way like, like Curtis Yarvin would say it, but like the way that normies think of the elite, like rich people, you know, rich people and the working class are kind of teaming up on team conservative. And then this, it's like the middle, especially the upper middle that really is like, no, they're like the heart of, of progressivism now. It's interesting to me that that was the tendency then, and that's kind of the tendency now, that the common working people and the, the conventional elites team up against, against the middle, the bourgeois, like petty bourgeois type Whole Foods people. Yeah, well, and that's that's kind of this era is sort of where we see kind of the, the, the birth of, of communism. Right, because it's it's some of these ideas what leads to communism later. I'm not talking about the the San the Sanfedistes, but the like the French Revolution ideas. Yeah, yeah, it's like a proto communism, anti clerical. It's kind of proto communism in, in, in a way, and that's the beauty of communist thought is you basically co opt any event and basically make it. Oh, look, it's a class struggle. You know, that's kind of the whole thing. That would be the communist history is that it's a class struggle. Although they, communists would argue that yeah. they were on the other side of this class struggle. Communists would argue that this stuff that was happening with the French, th those were the nascent capitalist class who then overthrow the monarchy, implement bourgeois dictatorship, like bourgeois democracy, which I agree with mm -hmm. them is bourgeois dictatorship. And now you have socialism where this other class is reacting against that, right? So the, the communists would argue that the Sanfedisti were the people who later become communists and that the Jacobins weren't. I'm sure you guys don't think that, but that yeah. would be like the the communist history, which in a U.S. school textbook is also the history that they would give. So, Well, and that's the beauty of it is any side can co-opt anything you want and be like, no, no, see, because of X, Y, and Z, he's our guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is our cause. Mm -hmm. um, Paris Commune. Everybody yeah, tried to, right? to claim that. Yeah. 
Right. Well, and so one thing I thought was interesting here, and I didn't actually stumble upon this until just before we started recording, but those first two stanzas kind of has like a Peter and the Wolf thing. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Peter and the Wolf, but it's basically this um, this this musical uh, movement where uh, different characters are portrayed by different musical instruments. And so like when you hear the bassoon, that's the grandfather. When you hear the trumpet or something, that's the little boy, you know, and the Hasleys and everything. So this is kind of similar because um, as I understand it, the, the sound of the bass drum is supposed to represent the lower class. The yeah. tambour or the tambourine is like the sound of like the poor. And then the bells is the peasants. And then the violins is supposed to be like the, the, the call to action. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And also kudos to whoever wrote this for rhyming violins with Jacobins. I thought that was chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. It just so happens that it rhymes like that in English. And, and, and Italian. Mm-hmm. Oh, does it? Yeah. yeah. And it's a different nice. rhyme. <laughs> like it rhymes differently, but it still rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it awesome. still works. It's cool. And I guess the only other thing I would call out is um, Jacobins is a French, it doesn't exist anymore in this version, but it, it's, it's during the French Revolution, the French had political parties, but also these things they called political clubs, which is sort of like a political party, but I guess even more involved. Um, but one of the main ones that was empowered um, or vying for power during the French Revolution is this, this, this um, French political club or political party called the Jacobins. And they're named after like the Dominican convent, convent they first met in. But other than that, the name doesn't really have much else significance other than that, I don't think. People um, that were the Jacobins were trying to um, – they're the ones trying to set up like a French republic and, and kind of pushing the French Revolution forward. One of their leaders is Robespierre. That's a name a lot of people have heard of from the French Revolution. He was a Jacobin at one point until he, they killed him. Um, so <laughs> that's who the Jacobins were. They're, they're, basically, they're basically a French political movement that were pushing for this – French republicanism, French anti-monarchy, pro whatever it was they were going for at the time. (laughs) So, but uh, yeah, I think, should we keep going? Yeah. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do the next two. So um, this is, this is the the chorus. The chorus is, it's playing, the Carmagnole is playing, sound the muster, long live the king and his family. And then the next stanza is on the 13th of June, O, o glorious St. Anthony, these rascals busted the Lord's asses. Sorry, mom. Uh, the French, the French have come and impo- have come and imposed new taxes, liberty, egality. I rob you, you rob me. So um, one thing I'll point out is the Carmagnoli or the Carmagnole. I'm not sure if it's an Italian word or a French word. I think it's both. But what it's referring to is a, as a song, another song called La Carmoniole, which was a song from the French Revolution. It was very popular with the anti-royalist group, the anti um, the, the, the French Republican people. So like the, the, the Jacobins, if you will. It's, it's a song that's, I think it's supposed to be kind of tongue in cheek, kind of sarcastic, but it's basically singing of like the triumph over the Queen of France and the triumph over the King of France and the triumph of the who they call the sans-culotte, which is like the people, I guess it means without breeches or without pants, but basically the, the peasant class rising up over the, the monarchy. And a carmagnole is a type of shirt, like a long sleeve kind of jacket or a shirt that the peasant class would wear during this time. And that's basically what that's referring to is 
the Carmagnole is playing because it was a very common song for them to sing the revolutionary, the French revolutionaries. It was a common song for them to sing as they charge into battle or right after they just kick their landlord out of his house and kill them. They would sing this song or they'd make him sing the song, you know? So it was a very popular thing uh, that everyone would have known at the era. I'm assuming it's still played somewhere, but it, it may have fallen out of fashion because it's, you know, revolution's over. But that's what, when it says the Carmagnole is playing, that's what it's referring to is a specific song called La Carmagnole. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, it's a very well-known song for, for that reason. It, uh, it, it all, it also went with a dance. There's a dance that goes with it. Sort of like the TikTok of its day. I thought a, a good a good quote that I, I noted down was was one I got from Wikipedia that said, after storming the palace and murdering the king's personal Swiss guard, the mob of Paris was, quote, this is an account from the time, drunk with blood, danced and sang the Carmagnole to celebrate the victory. So just to give you the vibe of energy. And plant, yeah, and also planted liberty trees. I guess what they would do is like they'd, like celebrate some victory by planting a tree. Hmm. I don't know. That's kind of cool, I guess. But yeah, like yeah I don't know. I, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like it's a, it's a it's a wild time because it makes you wonder. Like, could we could we get back? Not that we want to get back to this, <laughs> but could this kind of mania ever happen again? You know what I mean? Like, if we had some kind of a revolution, could we ever have this thing where there's just blood in the streets and we're just basically killing anyone that is suspected of being? pro monarchy or pro this or pro that. And you're basically neighbor turning against neighbor. And like, you're, you know, yeah, it's just, it, it's, yeah, it's wild. I don't think we could do it. Well, I guess, I guess we could, because if you look at many places in the, in, in the third world that have been allowed to, to run themselves without the friendly hand of, of the world, making sure that their destiny follows its intended track, these things do happen. Here in Guatemala, um, for, for the latter half of the 20th century was, was engaged in a civil war between communist guerrillas and a government that was instated by, by the U.S. to protect the United Fruit Company. And I, I've spoken to people here who, who were alive during that, and it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually familiar with that, that time period as well, but that's, that's for a different, uh, different podcast episode. Sure. Or Bukele, right by us. Bukele doing that. He, I mean, he's a leftist. But he's rounding up everybody. Like you have a gang tattoo, you listen to a lot of hip hop, you're going to prison. Like, and he's extremely popular. So I'm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bukele. I mean, it, it's kind of the, the same vibe as as that the that last line in the chorus, or sound the muster, long live the king and his family. Like he must have been a pretty good king. Like he must have been a pretty good guy if if they wanted to uh, reinstate him as a mm-hmm. as a monarch. Because so much of history is is like people want want to portray kings and peasants as basically enemies, you know, yeah. like yeah. within their own king, within the same kingdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and what's interesting about King Ferdinand the First? That's who we're talking. Excuse me. That's who we're talking about here. He was himself of the House of Bourbon, so he would have been the same house, the same extended family as the King of France that had just been killed. So basically, he just killed like his cousin, and his wife, uh, Ferdinand the First's wife, was Marie Antoinette's sister. So like they were definitely like linked, like linked up. You know, like his, his brother was the King of Spain at the time. It's very common these days for monarchies to be very just like incestuous and like interconnected, and everyone is everyone else's brother. This this uh, persisted all the way up until the end of World War One. You know, so this, 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 at the time was extremely common. So when it's saying "Long live the King and his family," he's talking about they're talking about King Ferdinand and his family. You know, his wife, kids, and everything. And where it says. 
the, the next line on the 13th of June of glorious St. Anthony. So June 13th is, is St. Anthony's day. I think it's a, a Catholic holiday um, celebrating that, that saint, but that's referring to the end of this Parthenopian Republic is, is generally considered to be June 13th, because that is when this kind of peasant army of several thousand men took their kingdom back, so to speak. And they defeated an army of Frenchmen and French supporters um, in a castle in Naples. And that's kind of considered like the end of the Republic and sort of the reestablishment of King Ferdinand is, is on June 13th. That's why it's saying that. And then it's interesting at the end where it says the French come, the French have come and imposed new taxes. And then, it, and then it says in French, liberté, égalité, like that, that's part of the French um, motto, liberty and, and, and equality. But then it rhymes, it, it limes liberty and equality with I rob you, you rob me, which I thought was very clever. That's what yeah. I've got on that verse. Um, um, as far as what you said, Scott, I thought that was, that was, very, that was very poignant about, about these class alliances and the way that they're perceived. Because this is an ancient phenomenon. I mean, with Julius Caesar, who was supported by the popular classes against the Senate, which wasn't the kind of Senate that, uh, that the U.S. has. It was like a totally different setup. So in other words, against an aristocratic force. And um, I, think that, I think that's a common tendency, that the masses don't tend to support these kind of like liberalistic right. upheavals. They tend to want stability and peace and all this sort of stuff. And it's the middle classes who are looking up, who are like, oh, if I could just shake this thing, I could worm my way up in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's what's... Go ahead, Scott. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's a very modern thing to think that, uh, that any power discrepancies... Is, is a bad thing and like what if, if there's a monarch or if there's someone that has too much power they're obviously the bad guy and need to be overthrown that, that the people cost. who are under intrinsically resent and envy the people yeah. who are above them and that that's a natural fact mm-hmm. napoleon himself right when he was when he was arrested on that island I, i'm not sure i'm probably getting the history of this totally wrong but the the army came for him and they were supposed to like i, I forget if they were supposed to kill him or whatever but his famous line he says to the soldiers is do you dare will you shoot your emperor um, and this time he was no longer the emperor, but of course the army's like, yeah, you're right, dude, let's go back to you being this. And it totally converts the, I mean, I don't know how apocryphal this is, but, but supposedly the army was going to, was going to arrest him or whatever. And he says to them, will you shoot your emperor? And the army are like, yeah, you know what? Like screw these like assembly guys. Like let's go back to Napoleon. Like, so even though he was an anti-monarchical force in theory and practice, even his monarchical like tendency was enough that, that this force of the military, which was made up of, of normal people was like, yeah, we want to go with you. So I, I think that's, that's something very eternal. Yeah. I mean, it's something we see playing out today, even, even though like a lot of progressive uh, thought will, will decry this idea that we're talking about. It's something that you see today. Like, like they, they have their heroes, they have their, their great men of history that, that, yeah, it's, it's not something that, that just goes away. I think it's intrinsic within human nature to follow this pattern. And you, you might hate it. You might hate the idea of it, but there's no getting around it. I don't hate the idea well, of that, it that's a, that's... Given to Biden that which is Biden's, I say. <laughs> <laughs> but... Well said. Well, and, and that's what's so interesting about this time period is you think that it would be the lower classes, you know, that, that would be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want a king. I want these, I want to be able to vote and whatever, you know, that, we've been that, taught that, to think that's, that. That's, that's, right. But that, that's kind of like, that's, that's, that's how they sell it. Right. That's how it's sold to us. Is like, Oh yeah, the poor people want to vote and stuff. So but empowering. This is a, yeah. This is a different era. 
they didn't nothing there there was no precedent for something like this this is different that that's that a foreign concept to these people mm-hmm. holy, people, holy foreign concept people who have been raised bathed in these ideas that you're talking about are shocked shocked that only a few years ago the the working class was clamoring for their god emperor to have eternal and unlimited power but if you're if you're open to different ideas maybe that's not so shocking after all yeah. Well, and, and I think the prevailing kind of thought at the time was, oh, no, the reason why we have a king is because it depends on where you were, but either it's a divine right. You know, he's ordained by God. He rules with God's favor, you know, um, but a lot of it, too, with the, with the aristocracy was, no, these people are better, smarter than me. They're more successful than me. So they rule because they can do a better job. Right. Because that, that's like sure. their that's that's their they, they have an obligation with that, with that additional responsibility. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a hereditary monarchy. It was a hereditary society, right? So in the same way that this person was born into this role, trained from the time they were a baby to be optimized for the purpose of. That's exactly right. Yeah. Ruling, but also blacksmithing. So it wasn't like it was a foreign idea. They're like, yeah, well, I raised my kids since they were born to be the ultimate blacksmith. Obviously if the politician came down or I guess they didn't really have politicians per se, but if some aristocrat came down and said, I'm going to be the blacksmith, I have a right to be a blacksmith. It'd be like, dude, get out of here. You don't know anything about blacksmithing. It's not like it's, you're just going to learn this skill. You're never going to be as good as my son will be because we've been optimizing for blacksmithing for eons, you know, for like 2000 years or something. We've been the blacksmithing. Yeah. Like this has been going back forever. This region's been doing this. We've learned so much about it that to just think you're going to go to like your two-year trade school and learn what we've learned is ridiculous. And so I think it was a natural idea to understand, yeah, they learned about politicking. And right now we think of it in terms of power, but I don't think that would that would be the the way that necessarily it would have been thought of then. So, so it makes well, it, it was very si- it was very siloed as well. It's like okay, you have the aristocracy. It's like it's those three estates. It's like okay, aristocracy kind of deals with the aristocracy, and then once in a while they'll kind of you know deign to interact with the, with the other the other estates. But it was very siloed, and it was very little movement between the between the three. But what, what's what's interesting about this this whole uh, Parthenopian Republic and this idea of of this republicanism in, in, in France and the revolution in France is the 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 people in in Italy or at least in Naples that were hugely in favor of this French type of government um, this new type of government and republicanism was the aristocracy it right. wasn't the peasant class the peasant class were the ones clamoring for a king. Mm-hmm. Contrary to what to what your your modern history books would tell you, well, yeah, yeah so and there's two parts to that. Oh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, there's there's two parts to that. There's there's the way normal history books talk about it. Which so there's two sides to this. There's the 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 way history books put it is you have the bourgeois, the new bourgeois class, the bourgeoisie are coming up, and they're basically people who are from the peasant class for the most part, but who are achieving this business business success thanks to technologies that allow them to amplify the creation of wealth that a traditional blacksmith would have provided for himself and his family, but now a traditional blacksmith using this technology can produce and create this huge amount of wealth. And so you have this guy who has this business empire who's like, why am I listening to this guy who knows has a fraction of the actual power I have? Because now in this era, they're perceiving that money is a power that can compete with this traditional political form of power. That's one side of it. Mm -hmm. And the other side is you have the actual aristocracy that no longer believes it has the right to rule. So they're teaming up with the bourgeoisie being like, we also don't believe that any of this is real. We don't believe we have a legitimate right to rule and that maybe you guys do. And especially in the case of Italy, um, you, have the car- you have the groups like the Carbonari, which is like a secret society, basically, that's trying to infiltrate the church and liberalize it from the inside. 
And that continues to go on for like a hundred. That's happening. That starts right around the time that this war ends. But same, same people basically um, who were who were aristocrats who didn't believe in it anymore. Same thing you see in America, right? With people who don't believe in America anymore. They don't believe that they have the right to rule the right. Like that America's elite and upper crust don't believe in themselves. They don't believe in the American dream. So they're teaming up with these forces that hate America because they're like, hey, you're right. America, maybe it is evil. Maybe it is an evil empire that deserves to be crushed and all of that, which I don't entirely disagree with, to be completely honest. But but I disagree with, I mean, I'm, I'm not on their team, I guess, but but I don't, I don't know. I'm conflicted about America. You guys like America? I do. You like it? Um, but, but, I like but, but I understand. Yeah, but I understand the accelerationist mindset for sure. So maybe not even accelerationist. I mean, maybe America was was poisoned by these ideas from the beginning and has been the biggest propagator of them for, for a long time now. I, I, I mean, if you're a socialist, you would you would dislike that for one reason. But there's other ideas I like that I also feel like America, at least internationally, is very hostile to is a force that is hostile to a lot of things I believe in. So, yeah, I, I, I personally think um, this has changed over time. I personally think America is, is a tool or a vehicle for different divine purposes. That's my personal belief. That's, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, we had a, there, I was, I was in Mexico city at the time. There was a, there was this massive trans protest. And the only thing I could think about was this would not exist if the U S was not pouring huge amounts of not only money, but influence into this. So I, I'm, I'm conflicted about it. And I mean, for yourselves being, sorry to distract so much from the topic of the songs, but, but LDS members, which is a church I have a massive amount of respect for, imagine what could be going on in Utah right now if there was no American government <laughs> involved in that situation, you know? I'm just saying. You're talking to two Latter-day Saints who live in Utah. We, we know exactly how you feel, Jesus. And I'll just say it right now, Brother Brigham, I'm sorry, in your infinite wisdom, why'd you let in the railroad? Worst mistake ever. <laughs> we should have kept it Deseret, but that's that's a whole different podcast episode as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, good good thoughts, Jesus. I appreciate that, and and um, I, I definitely see where you're coming from, Scott. Should we uh, keep going with the the lyrics here? I think I think you're next up with the the French have come because it, it it plays the 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 um, chorus one more time, and then it's the French have come. Yep, we've got the French have come and already bled us dry. It voila et voila a, a kick up liberty's ass at the madinella bridge lady louisa stood pregnant three doctors came but couldn't make her give birth this is obviously referring to some some specific thing that that, that happened with uh, lady louisa yeah so i i kind of have a vague idea of what that's referencing but jesus if you know take it and run with it the whole uh, Madalena Bridge and Lady Luisa standing pregnant with three doctors and stuff. I think it's referring to a specific event, but if you know anything about that, go for it. I don't know a ton of details. I actually looked that up because I wasn't sure. And that's actually a statue that's, that's I forget where it is, but it's an actual statue. And I think the implication was that this is this scientific worldview that's not superstitious and they're kind of making fools of themselves trying to, to, to impose this, this kind of materialistic worldview onto a faithful right. people. But, it, but it's an actual bridge and an actual pregnant statue. So they're basically saying just that the French are idiots. They came and try to like, oh, it's, it's pregnant and all of this. And oh. implying that this that, uh, a more spiritual worldview, which defeated them. Although, as we've noticed, since we have the, the benefit of hindsight, it's questionable if any of these sides really won or if <laughs> they were all replaced by right, things right, that anyone right. in that time would have found abhorrent anyway. So. Right. So it's like they're... 
saying the, the enlightenment and everything that came with it or mm-hmm. it couldn't couldn't get this uh statue to we can learn something from that maybe we should team up with the like these these t- tiktok leftists because what's going to come next is going to be so disgusting and evil to anyone who's alive now that we would all be on the same side compared to what we're about to see or at least what our descendants are about to see yeah. or it'll get really bloody and dark and deadly, and then we'll go just to basically status quo antebellum. You know, where it's like, okay, we're right back where we were, all that for nothing, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty much what happened uh, in, in in a lot of these places here in France of this era. Mm-hmm. So what what I had read about this, and this could be totally wrong, but I thought that this Lady Louisa is referring to a specific lady mm-hmm. who is um, who is one of these pro-French, pro-Republicanism Italians, and she's the wife. And the, the, so the, so the San Fedisti, this peasant army is basically coming into Naples and she's standing on the bridge, basically saying, no, no, don't, don't hurt me or my husband. I'm pregnant. Mm. And she's basically using her pregnancy as like a get out of jail free card. And so they're like, okay, well, she's, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. She's going to have the baby. So they basically have a couple doctors come and try and help her give birth. And she can't give birth because she may not actually be pregnant. She may have just been using it as an excuse to like save her life and save her I think you're right. I think you're right. Because where I learned this from was there was a YouTube comment discussion about this and there were no sources given. So all of my knowledge about (laughs) this came from I think I saw that and it was like half an Italian. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what is that? I can't even understand what most of this is talking about. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's what that would be. I also looked up Princess Luisa of Naples in Sicily and apparently she's known for being ugly. Mm. And uh, and she died giving birth to her to a son, a stillborn oh. son. So I wonder if I wonder if there's like a play on on that somehow. Well, it's kind of a downer, thanks, Scott. Yeah, no problem. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then after that, it, it, it plays the um, the chorus again, and then Jesus, do you want to keep going there with the next the next two verses or stanzas at the dock? Yes, let's see. So at the dock, by the war's end, they have downed Liberty's mast. They caught the Jacobins and tore them like dirty rags. It's the end of equality. It's the end of Liberty. You have stomach aches, so go to bed. Do you guys understand the whole stomach aches part? I tried to find something about maybe sicknesses or something. Yeah, I don't know if if it was that, or I know that one thing that was rampant in France almost during this entire era was basically mass starvation and famine mm. because like the, you know the systems of government was were basically shut down or changing every yeah, year and, and they've been at war for years and years been at war for yeah so I'm, I'm sure their industry and, and everything else inside that was just in ruins and so i'm wondering if it's just referencing to like all right you frenchmen go back to your star- you're starving <laughs> in, in france <laughs> because you killed your king i'm not sure yeah, so at the dock by the war's end, they have downed Liberty's mast. So it's referring to something on the ocean. I don't know if that's referring to um, one thing I was going to add because it doesn't talk about this here. But one thing I was going to add is the the San Fedisti and and King uh, Ferdinand. They actually had the support of England at the time, the United Kingdom, and the United Kingdom sent none other than Horatio Nelson uh, down to kind of. Uh, lend his his support to some of these naval battles they were having at the time, and Horatio Nelson is probably one of the greatest admirals England's ever had. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's referring to maybe referring to that. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't guys have any any thoughts there. But it's basically just re- referring to they they caught the Jacobins, tore them up, sent them packing back to France. Essentially, is what I kind of take from that. 
I love those lines that the end of equality, the end of liberty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is again a play a play on the whole egality liberty, like mm-hmm. the, the, the part of the French uh, motto there. Yeah, it's just not something that you, like you're used to seeing like celebrated in a song. Well, I think it's supposed to be kind of tongue in cheek, like yeah, yeah. like this isn't equality and liberty. This is your version of equality and liberty, which sucks. Sure, yeah, kind of like exactly. the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, you might say like, oh, it's the end of equality. It's the end of of the revolution. All of this, and like, yeah, thank God. So they're all starving. <laughs> they're all star. They're all starving together. So they're all equal. I guess <laughs> you're free to starve. <laughs> Enjoy your starvation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, do you want to keep going Jesus on the, the next one I, it kind of it kind of plays the the chorus again then it says the rainy month yeah yeah sure it's playing the Carmagnol is playing sound the muster long live the king and his family the rainy month had passed also the windy and the irascible and in the reaping month they discovered your fraud long live daddy macaroni who respects religion Jacobins to the sea your butts are burning and then it repeats the chorus <laughs> yeah and I believe that's the end of the song. Mm-hmm. So th- this is funny because to call him like Daddy Macaroni sounds really funny because it sounds like something like a kid would say. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was a nickname for, for King Ferdinand. And it was a, a common thing at the time because macaroni is an Italian food. And apparently um, King Ferdinand had, I don't know if it was a son or if it was his father, but he went by uh, King, what was it called? Oh, I'll have to think about it later, but yeah, I'll, I'll, think, of, I'll think of it later. Oh, King Lasagna. It was King Lasagna because it was like, oh, yeah, he's from the region where Lasagna's from, and it's his favorite food. So it was like his nickname, but it sounds kind of silly in retrospect to us, you know, now. But yeah, Long Live Daddy Macaroni is referring to King Ferdinand. I think if there's one really great quote that that, that everyone who just heard this can take away from this podcast that I thought was gorgeous is that macaroni is an Italian food. I want a sound bite of that because that, that was such a fun statement. Like, I just imagine myself listening to this, and the only thing I remember being like, "Macaroni is an Italian food." You know, like that's all I remember. Whoa, what? What, dude? That's, these guys are good. This is when you listen to something so long, you know, you come away like, "I learned a lot," and then people are like, "What did they say?" And you're like, "Well, you know, like macaroni is an Italian food." Something about this pregnant chick. It was really good. You know? Wait, hold up. What? Macaroni is an Italian food? Man, these guys did their research. That's always how it is with these things. Like you always remember the the most meaningless details, but you remember that it was some really interesting and profound. But yes, something something about um, Italian food. It, one one thing that, that I saw in in in, a, in a, um, expose on this this song is when it's talking about the months in the beginning, like the rainy month pass and the windy and the irascible and in the mm. reaping month. It's supposedly referring to the French uh, Republican calendar. This is something oh, right. I did not know until studying for the, they made yeah, their own this calendar. I did not yeah. know. Yes. I did not know that until I, I studied for this podcast, but when the French th- overthrew their King and their whole system of government, their whole society, they wanted to get rid of anything that was referencing clergy or royalty or anything. And so what they did was they literally created from scratch, essentially a new calendar and gave new names to all the months. And they have all these really weird names that I don't, I can't really pronounce them, but it's not anything that I'm, I'm familiar with or even heard before. And unless you're studying this part of history, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know because the French never used it again. They used it for like a five year period during the revolution. And that was it. And I think that's what's referring to is the French words for, oh, the rainy month is the new, what we call, what we used to call January, we call this now, you know, and the, the irascible or whatever is, is, you know, that used to be November. Now it's this word in French. And it's, I know that when, um, 
when Napoleon took power, they they called his coup. It was a bloodless coup. He didn't kill anybody or anything, but they called it the coup of whatever date. And it's using the French calendar, like the new French calendar. So it's like mm-hmm. the, the coup of 13 days something. And it's some random month. I'm like, wait, when is this? I have to like... Is there like a conversion chart for this? Like when these dates actually are with this silly new calendar that lasted for five years. But I think that might be what it's referring to. I'm not sure, but. Yeah, we're so lucky to have moved all past that. And now we can live in the common era, like reasonable people. Of course, Mm -hmm. of course. Yeah. Which we celebrate the start of the common era by the, when things. um, Became common, comrade. They became, yeah. (laughs) Before that, things were much less common. Yes. But I, I do like the line in there, long live Daddy Macaroni, who respects religion. Because mm-hmm. devout, devout Catholic, these guys, it goes without saying, these guys were all devout Catholics. And the San Fidisti were devout Catholics because it's Italy. And you can't have Italy without Catholicism. Yeah, it, it's almost like they were fighting j- just as much for their religion as they were for their their king, uh, to, to yeah. reinstate their king. <clears throat> yeah, well, which, supposedly, is which is very admirable. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and any Latter Day Saint who's read the Book of Mormon can can relate to that, like immediately. That mm-hmm. idea of like fighting for what you believe in and everything. I think anyone that's religious at all can. But supposedly, when um, when this this cardinal um, Cardinal Fabrizio Rufo Rufo Rufo, when he came ashore to kind of take back Naples with these San Fidisti. He had a couple followers with him. He kind of rallied people to the countryside. But one of the things he brought with him was a, um, like a, something like, I don't know if it's a standard or a flag, but it's bearing this, this sort of ancient slogan of in hoc signo vinces, mm. which is basically, uh, it's Latin for basically in this sign, thou shalt conquer. It's the cross. And this idea of like, this isn't just fighting for our king and for our, our country and our countrymen. You're fighting with, you're, you're going with God. You're fighting with God. You know, like Christ is with us. It's a kind of a holy war, so to speak. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. There's something I, I dislike about this song. Okay. What and is that it? I, I dislike about these kind of populistic movements in general, which is that they're t- they tend to they have a very, like in the, in the same critique of, of anonymous Twitter, by the way, which is that it's very vulgar. Um, which is part of the charm of it, but it's a kind of vulgar charm. I was, I, I, I think there's, there's this, this thing I was reading about that I was, I was thinking about this, and a, a good, a good thing I read counter to that is that foul language is both degrading and harmful to the spirit. We should not let others influence us, others, including the authors of this songs, to use foul language. Instead, we should use clean language that uplifts, uplifts and edifies others, and we should choose friends who use good language. Setting an example will encourage those around us to use clean language. This is from the Church of Jesus Christ.org. So not a source that I, I think Amen. anyone here will, will disagree with. Um, I think it's Amen. easy to not take it seriously, but but that is one downside of this song is that it has a fun spirit of like this very popular, vulgar kind of like, yeah, we kicked their va and da-da-da and F them and kind of in a Trump almost way, you know, of like like, yeah, ha ha ha. This kind of mocking spirit, a very kind of fun, pleasant mocking that I think is is not what we want. It's better than than the people they were fighting against, for sure. But I still think we can do better. Yeah, well, they're, they're celebrating death and destruction, and in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, massacring civilians, right? I mean, I guess the idea here is they're not... I mean, to, to be fair, when, the, when, when, this, when this short-lived republic in, in Naples fell, 
they were for the time fairly even handed with all the people that were supporting this government uh, before the, the 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 formerly French supporters because they were Italians. These people were still Italians. They were they were they were uh, Neapolitan people. You know, Italian speaking guys that just like the idea of republicanism, and that's why they set up this republic. Mm-hmm. And so, when a lot of them were captured, there were quite a few that were put to death. Some were hung, some were beheaded, but there was hundreds that were just deported or exiled, which for the time is considered even handed because at, at this time, like, especially if you're in France, they would just kill you, kill all of you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean to judge, to judge them, but rather to, to, to think that, that this, we have, we can learn things from this, but there's also things that we can learn. Like they opposed people I oppose, but I'm not them, you know, like, uh, right. I, I think that there's a spirit to it that also isn't the spirit I want to adopt. And especially within within like this whole online right space, there's all these different things just kind of coagulating around each other. And I think it's it's, it's yeah. still very important to be careful about these ideas that we just let into us. Yeah, well, I agree with you that, that we need to be careful with that. I think there is a way to righteously mock evil. Mm-hmm. I and agree. I think there's... A, and I think the good that comes from mocking evil is it can gain people on your side it can it can show what i guess what you could call fence sitters or something like that that how silly the opposition really is by by mocking them and so i I guess just to give a little uh, i guess a a little pushback on that 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 they're that you don't have to like use curse words or or whatever to mock but i think there is a a way to to mock in a good way. Is, is this because Maybe. I read the swear word in the song? Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, we no, going. that's fine. I mean, you're quoting it. I'm just saying that, that, that like, I mean, no, the, it's the okay. people I, who wrote the song, sarcasm. the people who wrote the song weren't quoting anybody, right? And I'm not sitting here like, like, oh my gosh, they cussed. It's just the point that I think there's this kind of populist spirit to this stuff that we might like because they like some things that we like. And they're, I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. these were good. These were people who I would, you know, respect and all that massively. It's nothing against them, right? I mean, I, I like Abraham, but when Abraham was in Egypt, he did a lot of stuff that I didn't, that I don't think I, he should have done, you know, <laughs> right? Like with, with, when, when he pretended Sarah was his sister and all of this stuff, but it's not to say like, 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 oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't like Abraham. I don't want to be like Abraham, right? It's just to say that he was a man and there's things that he did that, that he, he was reprimanded for and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, so and, and to, your, to your point, to, to your point that we give, uh, we maybe give more lenience to, vulgarity when it's on our side um i think there's some there's some definitely some uh something behind that because there's nothing i hate more than like the modern like leftist movement to include vulgarity where it doesn't need to be like they they, Mm. i don't know everyone needlessly and senselessly yes like especially the f word like it is everywhere now like and that was that was hillary clinton's whole oh sorry for interrupting continue no no it's it's like politicians will use it in like a formal setting like I, it mm-hmm. I, it's i think it's disgusting it was too casual i mean i, I encountered that at work i'll be talking to like attorneys and they'll be like in a meeting about like settling you know someone's you know issues and they're just dropping f-bombs these are guys like in suits who have like a law degree and it's like dude like well that was the whole thing that that was this was this was the argument hillary clinton made against trump and everyone completely 
just mocked her for it uh, because of hypocrisy, right? They're like, this is ridiculous coming from you. Clearly the cultural tendencies you're favoring are far more degrading in all of this or whatever. Like this is ridiculous coming from you. But the one thing that's ignored there is that she was totally right. Like everything she said was true. And I agree with it's the place she was coming from that felt like this was pure rhetoric and blah, blah, blah. Hip, 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 yes. Hillary, you're trying to take moral high ground here. You have no moral high ground to stand on. Also, if you really want to go that far, Joe Biden himself, when he was vice president of the United States, got on a hot mic saying this is a big effing deal, talking about mm-hmm. Obamacare getting passed. So at that point, it's like maybe just cancel each other out and we'll go use a different standard. <laughs> to, right, to because she our, was a hypocrite and no one wanted to listen to her. Right. But, but her arguments were good that this, this thing that was happening on the populist right was extremely vulgar and in many ways morally disgusting. But who, who has the moral high ground to actually say that and be taken seriously? Maybe there are some people yeah. now, but at the time it was right. like, there's no one. So who's going to make that critique and, and have it matter? Ron Paul. Yeah, Ron Paul, he would have been fine. If he'd said that, I wouldn't have, no one would have said anything. But. Um, yeah, well, I think, I, think there is, I think there is a time and a place for anonymity um, in, in certain respects, whether you're defending your, your values or, or religion or, um, or like uh, political beliefs you're espousing. I mean – I mean, look what look what some of our founding fathers did with the Federalist Papers. They were all anonymous, right? And the, but the idea was is that like, no, I don't want this to be attached to me. This is just something that we should all be be familiar with, and it should come from like sort of like the voice of the people, Publius, you know. Mm. But mm-hmm. I digress. Yeah. So so Jordan Peterson get bent, right? <laughs> Take that, Jordan Peterson. Woke moralist. Well, that's the, the one line that he's there's, a, there's a great Petersonian <laughs> critique you could make of the founding fathers in this case, which is WWJD. What would John Adams do? <laughs> <laughs> or are you speaking in third person? You want yourself? What would Jesus do? I know. Yeah, that's exactly no. <laughs> which is that he'd I, move I, to Guatemala. That's what he would do. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting questions. I, I think that to me, the one of the, the important things that I think Christ is for us as a role model of how to, how to be a man. So when I have these questions of how should I do this, what's the best way to, in this case, communicate ideas, right? This is something Jesus did. So I don't have to, it's not a theoretical or, and I don't, I don't even have to look to history because he did this. So maybe I I'm too weak to do it or I fail to do it. Um, I mean, his own disciples in many ways failed to do this over and over again, right? Peter directly afterwards, just directly, Mm-hmm. denies him and then goes on and then is spoken to by God to eat the, I forget who's supposed to eat this food. Right. And he says, no, three times again, directly to God. So it's not like I, I, I'm trying to be judgmental to myself or anyone else, but, but I think that Christ gives us an example in every way of how to be men. And in this case of how to communicate ideas, there's a, there's maybe there's some lessons to be learned there. And I'm not saying that, that, that leads to like, don't be anonymous on Twitter or something. I, I don't think, but I'm just saying that. Well, neither one of us are anonymous on Twitter. So we're good. I'm not pricked <laughs> in my heart. I'm just saying all the Twitter nonce, keep listening to the podcast, you know, don't, don't unfollow because of me. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're, we're respecters of whatever your, whatever your conservative stripe is. As, as long as you're based, we're cool. Yeah. To quote my father though, to kind of go on with what you're saying, Jesus, mm. um, everyone is an example to you, but it may not necessarily be a good example. Mm-hmm. True. Very true. Yeah. So, Hey, I know how not to be because of that guy, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or I know how to be because of that guy, just depending on the situation. Or the person. Yep, and and also to to your point about uh, specifically uh, being crude or whatever is that I think you you mentioned it or, or alluded to it is that 
it affects you personally to do that. Yeah. And it's a corrosive thing. That, that's um, what the, that's what the website so says. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> true. You're right. And so do it sparingly, I guess. And if you're going to do it, make sure it uh, is worth it. Yes. Make sure it's something. Make sure it's something I agree with, so I can agree with your with your crudeness. That's 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 the, that's the standard. Hmm. I'm sure though that the, I'm sure that there were the enemies of Christ during his lifetime, like the Pharisees, would have thought of themselves as conserving things, much like the uh, the San Fidisti were. But this is getting way off from the song topic, so I'm sure Scott's got to go that's to sleep true. soon. So. That's true. That's true. Well, that, I think that's that's the end of the song. There, it kind of it kind of plays the um, the the chorus one more time. It's playing the Carmagnoli is playing. Sound the muster, and the, the muster is long live the king and his family. And then it and then it ends. Really good song though, Jesus. Um, I started listening to it like you know I'm not even Italian or Catholic, but this is doing it for me. You know, it's just mm. it's it's waking up something in my blood. It is right. Um, so very lively. I, yeah, I, I really very rousing, very very lively. I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, so I really good song, good choice. Um, if you have any other others like this you want to do in the future, send them our way, and we'd be happy to have you back on the show. Yeah, you, you mentioned that Iron Maiden song. It was it was Iron Maiden? Iron oh, Maiden has a lot one? of songs about history. Yeah, yeah I mentioned song, uh, uh, Flight of Icarus. That was the first. Yeah. Yeah, song. yeah. If you want to come on and do that one, we'd, we'd be. Happy I, I just imagine a young Jesus listening to that, like twelve years old, like, "Whoa, this is infinitely better than Aerosmith." <laughs> or Lady Gaga or whatever. Yeah, yeah, just whatever was was like Fergalicious or whatever was on the radio at the time. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about music because I didn't care about it. And everybody who cared a lot about music seemed really stupid at the time. Like they just seemed like yeah. stupid people who were like watching MTV or whatever. And I was like, this is so bad. Some, sometimes you got to find the right thing for you. Didn't like what you were being fed. It's like, hey, you got to. This is what you're supposed to like. It's on the radio. You're supposed to like this stuff. And it's like, I don't mm. like any of this, but I do like this, and it's not on the radio. So. It even I felt not, like anti-music, like like music that hates music. That's like this. I don't know how to describe it. But I don't even call it music. It's anti-music. I call it anti-music. Yeah. It's a anti-music, it's a it's yeah. an artistic okay. it's an artistic statement against what music was and could be, and I would say should be. Okay. Like, yeah, I can I can co-opt that. I, I like that. I like that. All right. Well, hey, Jesus, great having you on, on the on the uh, the podcast, man. It was nice to to meet you officially. Yeah, same. Um, in the last, yeah, in the last few minutes that we have, um, where can people connect with you if you want to be connected with, or is there anything that you would like to to plug, or any projects you're working on, or anything that that you want to advertise on here? Um, I don't have no, I don't have anything. Um, I'm a I'm a freelancer, and I work with all kinds of of strange people in like these weird shady countries. Not doing anything shady, but so I don't, I don't have anything going on that like connects to the overworld in that way. Uh, I have a Twitter account. I don't know my username. Okay. It's something about Shababa. It's Father Shababa. Shababa, yeah. And I'm not going to tell you how cool it's spelled. We... So just, just guess. And if you guess right, you can connect to me well, that way. So I'm kidding. If you've ever seen, if you've ever seen the road to El Dorado, you'll know who Shababa is. There you go. And and yeah, you can email me as well. I'm thejesusaviles at gmail.com. So. Okay. Feel free. Are you cool if we put uh, the email and the the Twitter handle in like the show notes? Are you yeah? Cool with that? You can put that anywhere. Okay. Anybody who wants to email me, okay. that's how you can email me. That's probably the best way to contact cool. me, to be honest. Email. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll put All that right. in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, man. That was awesome. Um, do you guys have any parting thoughts or comments before we let the song play us out? I have a I have a question for you. Yes. That, that you don't really have to answer, but it's something to think about. If you had I'm someone who, who was a progressive Christian, a Christian, but who was just going with the progressive political things, 
and a conservative who was atheist or who was pagan or whatever thing. Who, which of these people do you feel like is, is on your side? Difficult to say. I'd have to hear them speak and kind of see how they, how they mm. you know, present themselves and how they express themselves. But just gut, gut reaction on this podcast, live on the air, I'd probably say the progressive Christian. Nice. That was brave. Yeah. Brave. Uh, <laughs> I mean it. I'm not making fun of you. That I respect that. So my, my take on that is that a lot I, – I, I'm pretty active in my church, so I know a lot of, of, of Christians, and I know a lot of them who are progressive. And we call them progmos. But, progmos. But the more I talk to them and the longer I talk to them, the more I realize they're only progressive like skin deep. Mm. They, they they really do actually have some I guess conservative or non progressive views. It's a, it's all just like kind of a facade they put on to fit in society. They're not actually they're not actually progressive. I totally get that. I, I was just thinking about that when you talked about about conservatives. I know we got to go, but I was just thinking about when you when you said conservatives, and I was thinking about Jesus in the time he was in, and if you try to box him into some like political or religious category they had, how ridiculous would that be? Like. Like, oh, is he a Pharisee or a Sadducee or is he one of these? It's like, this is, just ignore these categories. It's well, yeah, that, that's, that's what a lot of progressives do is like, Jesus is the ultimate progressive, but in a way they're right because what was he actually doing? He was literally fulfilling the law of Moses they've been using for, what, a thousand years? Yeah, the ultimate trust also. So. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but installing a new, a, new, a new covenant, a new, a new uh, way of, of worshiping deity, right, with mm-hmm. new... With different covenants and, and practices and things you yeah. had to do. Like new, new ways to pray, new ways to sin, new ways to do all this yeah, stuff. No yeah. more animal sacrifice. So Whoa. in a way that was progressive, but it was progressive. It was something progressive that had been, that had been um, prophesied about for thousands of years prior well, you to You see, birth, you so. experience right now the ridiculousness of trying to use our political categories for this as well. So I just, I just, maybe this is something we'll have to talk, we should talk about privately some other time, but but that's why I think I, I'm, a, I'm conservative myself, but I, I think I try to be careful about about letting that become like kind of almost like kind of idolatry, you know, of something that well, like through a you lens. Don't want, you don't want you don't want something so narrow to become to become your identity. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, our, the prophet of our church, uh, Russell M. Nelson, he recently um, gave a, uh, a, a talk about this and he said, oh, like what? Like, how do you identify? It, it was it was Nelson, wasn't it, Scott? I think it was Nelson. Um, yeah. But how you how you identify? And it's like, do you identify as this, that, and the other? You know, whatever your political stripe is that you follow, or whatever sports team that you like a lot. You know, I'm a jazz fan, or whatever. Or are you a son of God? Are you are you a, a follower of Christ? You know, and uh, that's really what it comes down to. Is like, yeah, I mean, sure, I, I feel that there are things that are important politically that I think would steer the country in a better direction. But what will always trump any of that is, is my belief in the savior and what he tells us to do. Yep. And, and there are political leanings that are more in line with, uh, with church doctrine and, and, and what Christ taught. And so, and there are some that aren't. And so uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty easy to, to fall in with with what we with with the structure that we have right now in America or in in the world right now, but but after this life it doesn't matter. Like what what's true is true. It doesn't matter what label you put on it um, or what political party claims that as their thing or whatever. Yeah. You know. So uh, yeah. Yeah, just something to just something I wanted to think about. Question. 
Something to chew on. So. Interesting question. Cool. Well, thank you, Jesus. I, I appreciate the, uh, the the deep thoughts, man. So keep keep them coming. And uh, other than that, I think I think we're good. So Scott, we'll we'll ha- go ahead and have the song play us out, right? Let's do we'll it. See you next time. Allusione da gran cascia, viva lupa pa la pascia, allusione dei tamburri e la sorriso tre cuperie, l'allusione da campana, viva viva di popolana, la suona da violino, morte a di Giacobino, sono 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 carmagnolo, sono di consigli e vi vorrei la famiglia, sono 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 carmagnolo, sono di consigli e vi vorrei la famiglia. All'idrino c'è una giugna, Sant'Antonio e Curiusi, signore Stipirbo, che faccia il trovanza, donna sobbacuta di Francis, a vita San Gianna, misri per te, carite, per roba a me e roba a te. Sono sole, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e ti vorrei la famiglia. Sono sole, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e ti vorrei la famiglia. Li francese sono arrivati a una buona caruso E voilà, e voilà, causa ancora la libertà All'uconda madale una luisi asciuta Preni tra miete c'è capo una volta va il gravo, sono sole, sono ad armagnolo, sono di consigli e ti vorrei una famiglia, sono sole, sono ad armagnolo, sono di consigli e ti vorrei una famiglia. Vola senza guerra, sa dirai l'albara in terra, farrane Giacobbi e facetra la mappi, e fornuta la guaglianza, e fornuta la libertà, e poi sotto l'ure qua, signorato va con cuore, sono azzone, sono a Carmagnolo, sono i consigli e ti vorrei una famiglia, sono azzone, sono a Carmagnolo, sono i consigli e ti vorrei una famiglia. Se non mi sei giusto, non tu sei l'antirusa, non mi scasamento, quando ho avuto la giarretta di vagare, mancarone, da rispetto alla religione, già cuffini ad ammar, o va brucio lo panara. Sono azzone, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e mi vorrei una famiglia. Sono azzone, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e mi vorrei una famiglia. Sono sole, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e mi vorrei la famiglia. Sono sole, sono a Carmagnolo, sono di consigli e mi vorrei la famiglia.
macaroni is an Italian food. And we're done.